Hello, magic seekers, and welcome to It Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts, Laura and Shannon, and, and welcome, welcome to, to our, our podcast coven. Shannon, how are you? I'm good. We're back for another episode. We are. And it could be a long one or it could even be two. Yeah, we're not sure. We've got a fair bit to cover today. So all good things, all good things. Mm. So we get a lot of emails in regards to signs from spirit guides and being led to work with different deities. Um, Also on our Patreon last month, we had a few of the beautiful women recommend suggestions to cover more goddess you know, topics. Yeah. Uh, so we thought it'd be great to chat about our own experiences and mm-hmm. also to read out a few from our listeners, which yeah. we put a little call out on Instagram and got some beautiful replies. Yeah. Thank you to the people that replied. Very yeah. beautiful stories. Oh, absolutely. And, and there are so many out there. So there's so much to share. There certainly is. There certainly is. And I feel we all have close encounters with spirit guides and angels and deities on the daily, but we probably don't even realise it or acknowledge it when those That's synchronicities come along. So yeah, being able to see it through that lens. Yeah. Mm. So I thought if we share it today, maybe our listeners might be able to resonate with that yeah. or become more aware of these subtle little signs and... That's right. Yeah. And even be able to reflect back on things that have happened if there's little patterns in them and oh, the same sure. kind of things keep showing up for them. Mm. And that's tend to that tends to be how it appears, I find, is that repetitive <laughs> yep. symbolism. Mm. Um, and also I thought I would mention you can't live your life actively waiting and watching for these signs either because yeah. you would drive yourself nuts. <laughs> Just standing back and expecting it or asking of it all the time. That's that it. what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. So it's more about acknowledging it when they come along and it can be really comforting and reassuring when it does happen. Yep. But don't live your life waiting for signs, I guess. That's my little yep. beware clause. I like, I like <laughs> that. Start. No, that's, that's true. Yeah. It's easy to get stuck when you're sitting there waiting for something to happen rather than just going along doing your thing and having a sweet little partnership with yeah. a little cheese squad on your shoulder. Definitely. <laughs> I thought you said cheese squad then. Cheese. <laughs> what is that? I want one. It's the, it's the goddess of cheese. <laughs> I'm sure there is a goddess of Probably. cheese. Probably. There would have to be. <laughs> Several. <laughs> Look at all the cheeses that are around. I know, right? <laughs> And apologies in advance, as I think um, we've just had the new moon yesterday and the solar eclipse. Let's take a moment just to unwind. We've been unwinding for probably an hour already. We have, yep. It's huge. It's been a massive build up, I feel. Yeah. So, yeah. I wonder if anyone out there is nodding along going, yeah, tell me about it. I know. So if you are, we hear you. We feel you. Yeah. (laughs) Big seismic activity. That's it. Yeah, mm. it's just taking us through that gateway to the Scorpio blood moon <laughs> on Monday the 16th. Right. For us here in the Southern Hemisphere. 
So that's like the other end of the eclipse season. Yeah. So the next two course. weeks we're riding that wave of change and... The bullet train. The bullet train. <laughs> <laughs> does feel like that. Oh, man. Oh. Anyway, so hopefully this podcast is just a sweet little form of entertainment that you can learn and listen and just be entertained. Yes, absolutely. We'll entertain ourselves along the way, Shannon. We will. We will. <laughs> so what do you got? What are you starting with? So I thought I would talk about my own experiences nice. with uh, different deities that I have come to have relationships with or interactions with yep. in the past. So um, the first one I will talk about today is Archangel Michael. Okay. I know we were going to originally just do goddesses, yep. but like these things come to us in many different forms. Of course. So I thought it, you know, we're not going to just no. exclude everyone else and just do goddesses. We'll no. Yep. Let the archangels into. I love that because yeah. he's a big one too. He's like massive. People, well, I'm making a massive assumption, but he's widely spoken about. He's, he's mentioned often, like he's one of the big ones, doesn't it? Yes. Doesn't yep. it seem to be in, you know, in the realm of archangels? Yeah. He's your go-to. He really is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so, intrigued. Yeah. Well, here we go. Here's my little story. So <laughs> it would have been about 11 years ago, my dad was on the list for life-saving um, liver transplant. So he'd waited two and a half years to get a match. Wow. It was a long time. Yeah. And during that time, um, yeah, it was pretty touch and go towards the end. He was getting obviously sicker and sicker. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he finally got a match. It would have been just before Christmas and went down, had the surgery. Things seemed to be okay. Right. But... Um, he ended up having a full-blown rejection. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he had the first how, okay. surgery. He right. was he, well enough to come home. Yeah. So, uh, and then had the rejection and got rushed back down to RPA. How long was he home for? Like, was it straight away or uh, no, just never been, felt good? Yeah, it would have been uh-huh. about a week. So I guess oh, right, not I'm long. trying to think about the time frame because it was quite a long time ago. But yeah. it was long enough to recuperate in hospital, then mm-hmm. be released, come okay. home. And um, we had Christmas uh-huh. and, but yeah, he just never felt right. Yeah. And um, had all the symptoms for rejection, like fever and yeah, got okay. rushed back down there. So no. obviously it wasn't good because uh, by that stage, he also started to have kidney failure because of the liver. Wow. And he got put in a medically induced coma and they basically gave him 10 day window to get a second Jesus. transplant. Which we'd waited two and a half years for the first one yeah. um, because of his blood type. So things were not looking oh, very I'm just positive. covered in chills. Yeah, it was a really, really intense time for our family. Um, and to the point of we were all called to say goodbye when yeah. he was in intensive care. So this would have been sure. about halfway through that 10-day window. And I remember going in there um, with my husband Boo and oh, I've never seen my dad like that. You wouldn't want oh, to have. like he was so close to death's door. Yeah. Like he was bright yellow, yep. so skinny. Um, yeah, I just, to look at him, you're like, how the hell can he come back from this? Yeah. So uh, during that time, obviously a lot of prayer and a lot of um, 
soul searching and yep. I remember being on the beach one day listening to Bruce Springsteen because <laughs> my dad loves Bruce Springsteen and, and just sitting there uh, really upset thinking we were going to lose him and this little white feather fell out of the sky and lands straight in my lap. Oh, wow. So I obviously took that as a sign and during the course of all of this going on, kept finding white feathers everywhere. So like in my car or you yeah. know on the path in front of me, that kind of thing. And I was also working at the time with an oracle deck from Doreen Virtue before she lost her shit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I kept getting the Archangel Michael card over really? and over and over again. And it meant like your family is safe, your prayers are being heard, um, everything's going to work out in the end, that kind of connotation around it. And I remember being on the phone to my brother and he was just saying, like, what do you think? Like, is he going to survive? Yeah. And I pulled a card and it was Michael. And I remember going, wow. he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And he got the second transplant on my mum's birthday mm. on the last day that they were going to keep him on life support. Amazing, hey? Absolutely. Like, it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. And it wasn't an easy road because he'd obviously had two massive surgeries very unwell. back to back. Yeah. Um, so he was in hospital for months afterwards with yeah. complications. But I'm happy to report we're, what, 10, 11 years on yeah. and you wouldn't know. Like, he's amazing. He's, yeah. he's Amazing. Amazing. He's healthy and he's living his best life and... We're Long just so grateful. recovery though, like you Huge saying. recovery. Yep. Yeah, it was a massive recovery but yep. honestly a second chance at life and, yep. um, you know, every birthday. He just had his birthday last weekend actually, his 66th birthday. And, Aww, um happy yeah. birthday. Yeah, so every birthday we have with him it's it's a bonus, you know. So, it's, yeah. It's yep. such a gift. Um, no doubt he would see that too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So that was my experience with Archangel Michael. And another little side note, um, we've had a bit of a, <laughs> a rough weekend this weekend too with my husband's father yeah. being in hospital. Mm. But yesterday morning I found a white feather on our bedroom floor. Really? Really, oh. for real. Yeah, on oh. Boo's side of the bed. And I don't know how the hell it got in Where the house. Where it came from. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So what did you do with it? I put it on my altar, yep. yeah, on the Samhain altar and yep. thanked yeah. Archangel Michael and oh. the ancestors because yeah. I feel like they're watching over his dad right now. Absolutely. Mm. So it was really beautiful. Oh, gosh. So I thought I would um, share a little bit about Archangel Michael. Yes. Oh, lovely. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. So he is one of the most renowned and admired archangels and a powerful force of protection and divinity. He's the leader of the angels and banisher of all negativity and ill will that interferes with humanity. He's also the only angel mentioned by name in all three of the world's most sacred texts. With such prestige and power, many people are surprised to learn that Archangel Michael also communicates with us directly. So you can think of him as the bodyguard of the earthly world. While he's leading the good fight against evil and protecting us from harm's way, Archangel Michael is also called upon to lead and guide us through the hard trials of our lives. So you can invoke him for protection from anything that frightens you or if you are worried about the safety of loved ones. He accepts petitions from one person on behalf of another. Some information about Michael from my trusty book, Encyclopedia of Spirits by Judica Isles, which is on my lap right now. I love it. I just keep meaning to order myself one. Yes. You really do need to. It's a beautiful book. It's beautiful. Uh, so Michael has dominion over fire magic and candle spells. 
He's the angel of fire safety and also safety at sea. Michael escorts dead souls to the next realm, guarding them on their journey. He takes on many forms, ranging from a classical winged angel to being a brilliant blinding light to a head of garlic. What? Yeah, I thought you'd find this one interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So garlic contains his essence and is thus more than just a protective amulet. It's an actual manifestation of Michael. Wow. I never knew that. I'm so random. Yeah, yeah. So he is commonly portrayed as a winged Roman soldier and is also commonly portrayed with a dragon. This is now interpreted as representing his victory over Lucifer, but this image likely harks back to the days when Michael was worshipped as a deity in Babylonia and Persia. Right. Mm. So symbolisms and associations of Michael includes the sword, shield and scales, the sun and the planet Mercury, the elements of fire and water, the colour cobalt blue, along with red and silver. So you can make offerings of frankincense, myrrh, angelica and garlic. (laughs) Of course. Of course. And an old verbal, verbal charm to invoke Archangel Michael is Michael to the right of me, Michael to the left of me, Michael above me, Michael below me, Michael within me, Michael all around me, Michael with your flaming sword of cobalt blue, please protect me. And you can also add specifically at the end, such as Michael, please protect and heal my father, etc. Yeah, okay. So this charm's power is enhanced also by visualising being surrounded by cobalt blue flames emanating from Michael's sword. Wow. So that is Michael. He's a big wig. I always he knew he was a big wig and I did not know his relationship with garlic. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is very Interesting. cool. Yeah. And I thought I'd also mention um, during that time when my dad Mm. was in the coma, um, he has a memory, and I think I've spoken before too about how my dad, when I grew up, was pretty much an atheist, like said that, you know, when you die, you're rotten the ground, that's it, that kind of thing wasn't religious at all. But out of my two parents, he's probably had the most interactions with spirit and seeing loved ones and that kind of stuff. But he has um, this story of when he was in the coma, um, he was on a train and this train was in his hometown of Belmore River where he grew up on the mid-north coast and he said that the train would kind of go along and it would stop and then loved ones that had passed away, he'd get off the train and he'd meet with them. Wow. And he said it was so real, like they would greet him and welcome him and yeah. and it was at certain points in his life and then he'd get back on the train and move forward and get off and meet more relatives that had passed. And I think at the end of the train there was another scene that he was taken to where it was his funeral and it was under this big tree um, at a place where he used to live and he could see my mum standing there crying and grieving and he was trying to let her know that he wasn't dead and he was saying, like, I haven't died, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And he said he could, yeah, see her standing there crying and then he woke up from the coma. At Whoa. that point. Yeah. So it's. And he remembers. He remembers that. Yeah. He remembers it. Yeah, really clearly. So it was just a yeah, fascinating um, thing. Experience. Yeah, experience. Definitely. That he obviously talks openly about as well, which is beautiful to share that. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. Very. 
Very. So atheist no more. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. He's had too many weird and strange things happen to, yeah. to be an atheist. Mm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so that is my Michael story. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I have a tiny little thing to share about Archangel Michael, but it's not, well, it doesn't feel like as deep and as sort of powerful as as the things that you were sharing. But I remember just a few years ago when I was learning about, you know, the world of angels and archangels and um, like all the information you read out about Archangel Michael, how he's like the head honcho, really. Mm -hmm. He's the dude. Um, So I thought... I am going to try and ask for his protection because I, you know, I had learnt that in order to sort of seek their protection, you have to ask for it. They're not yeah. just going to swoop down and, you know, do it um, because they don't want to interfere with our free will. Yes. yes. Um, so I used to finish a shift at the hospital that was at nine o'clock, I mm-hmm. think. And back then I was like too cheap to pay for parking Mm -hmm. so I would park streets away and it was yeah it was pitch black and to walk to my car it was um a little bit scary I had to go through some dodgy streets and whatnot and there was I've got some interesting experiences about being chased by dogs or yelled at and that kind of thing it's exactly what you want to do is like leg it up a hill but uh, I thought I'm just going to ask Archangel Michael for protection on my walk from the hospital to the car so yeah I started doing that and I didn't get chased by dogs or anything like that anymore. So (laughs) it's worth a shot. (laughs) Definitely. But I remember he was the guy for protection and safety and that sort of thing. Yeah. He sounds like the guy for everything, but. I think he really is. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember, you know, I just remembered having to consciously do it and leave the hospital going, oh God, I've got so far to walk right now. I would shit my pants. It was not fun. Stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Um, but back then I, you know, was a young mum and I only worked two shifts a week and it was the evening shift that fit in with the lifestyle. Yeah. So these days I don't I don't do things like that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do what you gotta do at the time. That's yeah, for sure. that's right. And you know, I'm more scared now than I was at the time. Like at the time it mm. wasn't I didn't really think about it to be honest. I'd pick up the phone and I'd ring my husband or I'd quite often ring dad. Yeah. <laughs> Just walking to the car, I'm like, Dad, if, you know, I'm walking from here to here, if the phone goes dead, he's like, oh, gee. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Are you car yet? Are you car yet? No, oh. not yet. Nearly. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Just to have that energy with you to yeah. help yeah. you. Yeah. Keep going. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's it's funny. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought I'd also talk about um, one more personal experience. So the goddess Artemis. Mm -hmm. So Artemis came into my life a couple of years ago now and I'm pretty sure I've touched on this before but it was at the time that I was creating the Abertha and Ether Oracle. Right. And also finishing my sister circle training. So that was all kind of happening at the same time. And so I guess on an energetic level I was really opening myself up for this alliance and expansion. And some of the signs along the way for me leading up to me actually realising who she was. So I think that's something that 
a lot of the messages and emails we get of people saying like, I think this. Yeah, like, true. I've, like all the little breadcrumbs. I saw this and I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But am I really aligning with this deity or am I, you know, I'm yep. not sure. And so that's hence the episode today. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, one of the earliest signs was the crescent moon. So I've always been really drawn to the symbol of the crescent moon mm-hmm. for no explicable reason. Yeah. And even got it tattooed on my arm when I was 39 for my 39th birthday. Wow. So little did I know that the crescent moon is said to be the silver bow of Artemis's bow and arrow. There you go. And another sign, which I know a lot of people talk about, was seeing her name everywhere. So reading it, um, you know, in a book or seeing it on a sign or uh, meeting someone called Artemis. And It's not that common. No, it's very, very unusual. Um, seeing businesses with that in its name, like just it just kept repeating. Wow. Uh, and also I have spoken about this, but I'll touch on it again, was um, the sister circle training before I left for that. had yep. to gather four items to represent the four elements, so air, earth, fire and water. And I went into a little $2 shop to get a little votive candle for fire. Yeah. I found this sweet little red um, glass jar with the candle poured inside it. thought, oh, that looks pretty. I'll take that to represent fire. Went and done all my training and used that during the ceremony. And when I came home, um, finished burning the candle on my altar and the jar was just really pretty and I thought, oh, I don't want to throw it out, being a witch. <laughs> yeah. And a nice <laughs> glass Save all jar. the jars yeah. on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might keep something in that later on. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I cleaned it. So I, I boiled some water and was just cleaning the wax out of it and noticed it had writing underneath, flipped it over. Artemis. Amazing. So I, I like, love that. Oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. And, and then. So um, then you looked her up. No. I oh. didn't look her up at that point. I still, still didn't. Still <laughs> didn't. She's probably wanting to slap me in the head by this stage. <laughs> Get her bow. <laughs> <laughs> so I went away to Wollombi, which is in the mountains. Yeah. And to write the Averthanitha Oracle. So I just. I'm a very much an ocean person, but I knew I had to go to the mountains. Once again, couldn't explain why, but felt drawn there to create the work. Mm. And since then, I've actually um, found out that apparently esoteric knowledge and wisdom is easier to attain from mountain spaces. Mm. Don't ask me why, but that's what I've heard. And I was like, yep, I can understand that because that's what it was like for me. (laughs) Resonates. (laughs) It does resonate. And the whole time I was there, I just felt this presence with me uh, really deeply. And it was like this high, like a higher frequency of energy, um, like a different state of consciousness is the only way I can describe it. And the flow and the downloads of information were next level, like nothing I've ever experienced. Quite easily. Very much. Like crazy easy. Um, Like I'd only have to, my process was I'd already had all the images. Yeah. Photographed and I would, I had them all printed out as small little prints. I'd hold the print. I'd hold a particular crystal that I was going to work with for that print. Wow. And then I'd type and it just flowed. Flowed. And I went away. That's so cool. It was kind of freaky. Like uh, it was amazing but I went away thinking, oh, I might write a few but I wrote the whole 46 cards 46. in I was about two days. Oh, God. Two freaking days or two and a half days because we got there lunchtime Friday left, um, yeah, like the Sunday afternoon. But it was was intense. And I remember even halfway through it all thinking, oh, my gosh, like this is amazing. But 
I can't function in the real world like this. Like it was this <laughs> feeling of, um, yeah, I can't even explain it. As I said, like I, I thought this needs to dissipate by the time I go home because yeah. I can't be in real life like yeah. this. Maybe um, that's another symbolism in travelling so far away, especially so far removed from your natural habitat. <laughs> yeah, and I felt that need. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't channel or whatever um at home in my normal yeah. environment with all the distractions There's I had separation to, yeah to, to do that that's yeah. it and so, leave as well yeah 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 definitely and um oh it was yeah it was pretty cool so that's anyway so cool. I had this deep deep feeling that something or someone was uh-huh. working with me at that time in particular in not particular. different ones no yeah. no I okay. felt like it was one kind of particular right. energy yeah and it was very divine feminine was the only way I can describe it. Okay. So, so another weird coincidence, when I Ooh, go on. got home from yeah. Wollombi on this massive high, um, reading back through all of the work that I'd done going, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, right, <laughs> this is cool. Um, I'd ordered the book Encyclopedia of Spirits before I left. Oh, okay. And it had been delivered uh, while oh, I was away. Right. And Evie had put the parcel on my bed. So I got home, opened it up, opened up the parcel, saw the book, and I thought, oh, okay, well, who am I working with? And yeah. Ooh. So maybe this book can tell me. You asked. So I did. I held the book to my chest, closed my eyes and thought, you know, please show me oh. who I've been working with this yep. whole weekend. Open the page and I shit you not, Artemis. On the page, Artemis. There she was. There she was. And that's when it all clicked and I'm like. Oh, gosh, I just keep getting covered in chills. <laughs> so beautiful. And then I read her meaning and because I didn't really know much about her. It's not like I set yeah. out and was like, oh, I want to work yeah. with Artemis. Like it was <laughs> not even on my radar. Well, it was. I was just yeah. too thick to see it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, when I read about her, like I didn't know anything about no, her. Yeah. So much of it resonated. It was like this oh, light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. So flash, flash, yeah, flash. Yes. And from that time I then set about purchasing a little statue of her for my altar. I dedicated a space for her there. That little votive candle, I light a candle every night for her. In there. Um, in in the, Yeah, yep. in that little candle yep. holder in front of her statue. Oh. Um and I give her offerings of flowers and mugwort and things like that. So yep. she's just part of my daily devotions now. And I feel wow. um, I feel her presence kind of, I wouldn't say come and go, but get stronger and, and okay. dissipate. So yep. um, recently I've had more work come through that I know needs to be done. Right. And I'm off to Wollombi again next month. And <laughs> it's not far off. <laughs> no, it's not. And yeah, so I feel it's it's building. That yep. energy is building again and I'm sure she'll work with me again. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Will you take that little altar with you? I will. Recreate yeah, it up there? Yeah, I will. And I also went up there last year um, for another um, body of work and same thing happened again. So I feel like it's just, I don't know if it's the place in particular or if it's just me setting that intention of hmm. I'm going to step out of my mum life yeah (laughs) and go to this place where I have space and see what comes through so so Mm. when you said uh you felt like you needed to go there had you heard of that place in particular to go or did you just google it up or what made you find that it was really weird so um yeah I just I knew I needed to be near 
the trees and mountains. Yeah. So I Googled just Hunter Valley getaways. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I actually had in my head I'd be going north, northwest, I guess, yeah. to the Hunter Valley from here. But it ended up I just found this place at Wollombi and yeah. Um, so you saw a photo and went, yes, yes, yeah, saw a photo and yep. just went, no, I need to go there. And then when I got there, I was like. Yeah, this is it. This is so the cool. this is the space. So yeah. it's kind of situated on this hill. There's no nothing around. Like mm. it's just deserted and just mountains as far as the eye can see and birds and trees and nature. It's just beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. And quite historical too, I think from memory. There's an old convict road through there and yes. massive indigenous sort of uh spiritual areas around there too. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. It's a, yeah. a deeply um spiritual area for yeah. the Aboriginal people from my understanding. So yeah, wow. it's just um very special place. Oh, what an adventure. I know. Thanks I know. for sharing. So have you got some stuff on Artemis? I say I, Artemis. Um, well, I think you can Artemis. say either or. It's like potato, potato. That's true. Tomato, well, tomato. I'm so like <laughs> not experienced in this whole world. So anything that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, that's wrong. I'll butcher <laughs> it's that. So not. It's so <laughs> no not. No idea. <laughs> Lots of enthusiasm and no knowledge. Well, it's like how some people say dance or dance. Dance. <laughs> I'm yeah. so not a dance person. No. <laughs> oh my God. Garage. Garage, yeah, that sort of thing. Yep, we could go on, but we, we will could, not. we won't. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, out of my trusty book, yes. I have the information about Artemis. So she is known as She of the Wild, the Lady of the Wild Mountains, oh. and Mistress of Animals, and she is of uh, Greek origin. Okay. And you're going to laugh because I wrote green on my notes. Green? Is that why you had a little giggle just then? I just had a little giggle. Oh, just because <laughs> you need a laugh. She's from green origin. Nice. Uh, so Artemis is one of the most ancient Indigenous spirits of Greece. Her earliest incarnation seems to have been as a bear goddess. By the classical era, Artemis had been absorbed into the Olympian, Olympian pantheon as the spirit most associated with wild nature, witchcraft and women's mysteries. I know, right? (laughs) Artemis was venerated by both men and women. She is an initiatory spirit who presides over rites and rituals of initiation for both males and females. Ooh. And um, uh, according to the most popular version of her myth, Artemis was born on the island of Delos, daughter of Leto and Zeus. Her very first act upon drawing breath was to assist Leto in the long, difficult delivery of her brother Apollo. He is her complement and alter ego, spirit of the sun and masculinity, in contrast to her as a spirit of the moon and femininity. Artemis is a good friend and ally of Persephone. Mm. Zeus offered Artemis her deepest wish. She requested never to be forced to marry. (laughs) This may be understood as a demand to maintain autonomy and independence. Emphasis is placed upon Artemis's chastity, but her temple rituals involved erotic dancing and masquerades by men and women. <laughs> not necessarily separately. Artemis's <laughs> sexuality is not under anyone's control but her own. Her emphasis on chastity may hark back to her to a primeval bear cult in which sexual abstinence preceded the hunt. Artemis is mistress of the hunt. She protects the wilderness from excessive human encroachment and regulates sacred hunting rituals. 
Artemis influences grants and removes human, animal and botanical fertility. She regulates menstrual cycles. Artemis rules sexual energy intention. She presides over mysteries involving sexual energy intended for magical rather than procreative use. <laughs> sex magic. Yeah, sex magic. Sexual energy is concentrated rather than released to serve as a source of esoteric power. Artemis was both loved and feared. Her name may mean bear, but it may also derive from Artamos, slaughterer or butcher. She preserves, bestows and takes the lives of animals and people. She was among the last Greek deities to reject human sacrifices. She grants fertility to those previously unable to conceive but also decides who survives childbirth of both women and animals. She is the gatekeeper who determines who lives and who dies. Artemis can bestow or withhold health, wealth, life and fertility. She can undo any mischief caused by nymphs. Um, and Artemis is a magician and shapeshifter who takes on many forms. Her most common manifestation is as, a, is as a beautiful young female athlete, usually accompanied by a stag. She may wear a horned headdress or a headdress ornamented with a crescent moon. Artemis also manifests as a mermaid or in the form of any animal, in particular the wolf, bear, doe or dolphin. Her symbolisms and associations are the silver bow and arrow, crescent moon, a shield bearing the image of a wolf, the colours white and silver. She's also associated with the number six. And fun fact, my birthday is on the sixth. <laughs> Her realm is wild groves and forests. She's also closely associated with places of fresh water such as rivers, lakes and streams. The moon is her spinning wheel upon which she spins the fate of human beings. She's associated with the Artemisia family of plants. I totally screwed that up. I have no idea what that family of plants is. Artemisia. Named in her honour, including wormwood, southernwood, tarragon and my all-time favourite, mugwort. Ah. Artemis was traditionally honoured by offerings of round honey cakes and a lock of hair, but you can use mugwort, amethyst and things found in wild nature such as stones, shells, herbs, and flowers. Wow. I know. So that is Artemis. Bad or Artemis, however you want to say it. Yeah. Wow. So she's fierce. 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 Yeah. Like most goddesses, has yeah. the light and the dark and mm-hmm. that polarity. Amazing. It's not all light and rainbows. It's no. Death and <laughs> death and destruction. Death and destruction. <laughs> like life, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can't yeah. have one without the other. No. It'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> It'd be nice just for a week, sometimes. <laughs> I reckon. My Some gosh. may say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love that. Yeah. So they're my two. I, I have had interactions with other deities and, and things. I could talk all yeah. day about it, to yeah. be honest, but they're the two that really stand out for me and um, I guess have had the biggest yeah. impact. Yeah. Mm. Should, should I jump over and have a little chat about the stuff that I've been researching and yes, have please. a little relationship with? Because I know that we've got some listener emails there, but we might just 
fit it all together in a action-packed episode. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. So for my end of the researching, I wanted to look into some Incan folklore and mythology. I'm not sure how many of our listeners I have no idea, actually, if I've ever mentioned that my mum's from Peru, but my mum's from Peru Mm -hmm. and her mum has fairly strong ties with sort of like shamanic work or she was really well known as being a bit of a healer and a medicine woman and I always wanted to know more about that side of um, my heritage, I suppose, and when mum immigrated out here, she was really conscious of... um, not wanting her kids to seem different at the time, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It was a very different sort of landscape back then. It was loads more, um, yeah, loads more racist and mum was really conscious that my brother and I already spoke with little accents and whatnot and she didn't, she was never, she never denounced her culture but she never went out of her way to teach us mm. too much of it because she was just aware like she thought she was doing us a disservice she yeah. didn't want us to be any more different but I'm like oh man anyway <laughs> so love you mum um so I was looking into some Incan um gods and goddesses mm-hmm. because I know in recent years Pachamama gets referenced a lot yeah definitely. um yeah see um but in Incan days she was definitely around but there was some other ones that were much more important. So I mm-hmm. thought I'd just go over those. But of course, that comes along with just a really brief history lesson. Because um, I, I, <laughs> I could talk a lot about the Incan Empire and even um, a lot of the history in South America predates the Incas by quite a lot. So mm-hmm. that's whole episodes. And I've been watching um, some beautiful documentaries and whatnot to get some background information as well. And I quickly just want to reference some of the websites that I did use. So that's symbolsage.com, Myth Encyclopedia, uh, Tierra Vivas and worldhistory.org. So, yeah, um, there's an even older civilization from, um, they're called the Tiwanaku people, but that's also an area um, of South America that sort of predates Incan history. So a lot of the Incan history can uh, can be seen as evolving from that sort Mm -hmm. of time. So the connection between the earth and celestial bodies greatly influenced local Incan beliefs. The Inca were talented astronomers who built observatories throughout the region. The locations of their sacred sites, including Machu Picchu, were chosen based on celestial synchronicity. The Incas were highly religious and their religion played an important role in everything that they did. When they conquered other peoples, they allowed the worship of their own gods as long as the Inca deities were worshipped above them all. Because of this, the Inca religion was influenced by many beliefs and literally there's a festival every 30 days. Oh, wow. Parties all the time. Sounds great. Yeah, (laughs) it sounds good, hey? Um, Facts about the mythology and religion of the Inca Empire. Um, The Inca held religious festivals every month. Sometimes human sacrifice would be included as part of the ceremony. And I think that's um, not even sometimes. I think human sacrifice was quite a big part. And they Mm -hmm. had big ceremonial um, knives and it was seen as a really... um, high thing to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Inca worshipped mountains and considered them most sacred. 
priests were very important and powerful in Incan society. The high priest lived in Cusco and was often the brother of the emperor. So the emperor was their ruler, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And Cusco, I'll go on and sort of chat about that, but that was the Incan sort of main centre, but Mm -hmm. became the main centre. In Incan mythology, the cosmos was divided into three distinct planes of existence, realms or what they referred to as pachas. The Inca believed that their gods occupied these three different realms, Hanan Pacha, Ki Pacha and Uhu Pacha. So the first one, Hanan Pacha, was the upper world and the realm of the Inca god such as Inti, the sun god, and Mama Kila, the moon goddess, which I'll go on and talk about. Mm-hmm. later on, uh, which included the sky, the sun, moon, stars, planets and constellations. The Milky Way was of particular importance, as was the Pallades um, constellation. Okay. Yeah. The Incas regarded mountains and their peaks as sacred as this brought their earthly plane, Upu Mountain Spirits, closer to the heavens, often using these sites as locations for ceremony and sacrifice. The animal associated with this realm is the condor. Incas believed that it communicated the upper realm with the earthly realm. So the second realm, Kipacha, which roughly translates to this realm or this plane, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is the earthly realm where people, animals and plants inhabit. Chichu rainbows and Iapu, so they're, I'm going to explain them later, but they're two gods as Mm -hmm. well, god of rainbows and lightning and rain. Oh, wow. Serve as connections between Hananpacha and Kipacha, whereas caves and springs serve as connections between Uhupacha and Kipacha. Animals associated with this realm is the puma or they often refer to it as puma in their mm-hmm. accent. So when when I say puma, I'm like, that's so wrong. Like it feels <laughs> wrong. But as an Aussie, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, that's my struggle. <laughs> it symbolises strength, courage, freedom and intelligence. So Uhupacha is the inner realm. Some people refer to it as the lower realm, but a more, uh, and I'll read on, um, because it sort of explains itself why it's referred to as the inner or why the inner would be more appropriate. So it's associated with the dead as well as new life. The acknowledgement of the dualistic nature of this realm can really be seen in associated rituals. To the end of new life, harvesting and planting any disturbances to Uhupacha was considered a sacred matter. Ceremonies, rituals and offerings were left to appease the spirits. Uhupacha is also inhabited by the Supe, known as a group of demons that torment the living. The world is often the word is often used interchangeably as devil. Uh, the animal associated with this realm is the serpent. Mm. So the Incas believed that human spirits after death could inhabit any of these levels, um, and that depends on the wow. quality of the life that they oh, lived. Oh, okay, kind of like the heaven and hell yeah. analogy. Yeah. Yep. So the Inca believed strongly in an afterlife. They took great care in embalming and mummifying the bodies of the dead before burial. They brought gifts to the dead that they thought the dead would use in the afterlife. The Inca felt so strongly in the afterlife that when an emperor died, their body was mummified and left in their palace. They even kept some servants to watch over the dead emperor. For certain festivals, such as the Festival of the Dead, the dead emperors were paraded through the streets. Wow. (laughs) The Inca believed that the heavens were divided into four quarters. If a person lived a good life, they lived in the part of heaven where the sun, 
with the sun where there was plenty of food and drink. If they lived a bad life, they had to live in the underworld where it was cold and they only had rocks to eat. Oh, wow. Not really tasty at all. No. So the word huwaka is referred to as a sacred place. Uh, They could be objects as well like a mummy. That, mm-hmm. um, that would be a huaka. So it could be man-made or natural, such as a rock, a statue, a cave, a waterfall, a mountain, or even a dead body. The Incas prayed and offered sacrifices to their huacas, believing that they were inhabited by spirits that could help them. The most sacred huacas in the Incan Empire were the mummies of the dead emperors. So a little bit of information about the, the more common gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. So the first one is Viracocha, known as the creator god. Some other names he was known as include Lord Instructor of the World, the Ancient One and the Old Man of the Sky. It is said that he even created an earlier civilization of giants made from stone at the sacred Lake Titicaca in Bolivia. It was considered to be the centre of the world. These giants became unruly and violent, leaving Viracocha nothing to do but to destroy the race in a massive flood. After that, he then created the human race. He's very clever, isn't he? I know. (laughs) My gosh. He's commonly depicted as a bearded man wearing a long robe and carrying a staff. Uh, He was also represented wearing the sun as a crown with thunderbolts in his hands. It's likely that he was introduced to the Inca pantheon under the reign of Emperor Viracocha, who took the god's name, which is fairly common to do back then. Often the emperors would just name themselves after the god. Wow. He was actively – it gets confusing when you're trying to read the history. Yeah, bet. <laughs> like, like, is this God, is God or is this Emperor? Yeah. What year are we in? <laughs> he was actively worshipped by the nobility around 400 to 1500 CE but figured less prominently in the daily life of the Incas unlike the other gods. So even though he was the sort of creator god mm-hmm. and you would think he was the most important one, in Incan tradition it wasn't him that they, that was the highest – God that was revered, um, that went to his son Inti. So Inti was viewed as the patron of the empire and the divine ancestor of the Inca. So the Inca emperors were believed to be his living representatives. Such was this deity's status that the Inti high priest was the second most powerful person after the emperor. He was the god of the sun and as such he was associated with gold which the Inca believed to be the sweat of the sun. He was represented as a gold disc with a human face and rays projecting from his head. While he has many temples and sacred sites dedicated to him, the most sacred of all is the the Coricancha in the town of Cusco. The word Coricancha is formed through a combination of two Quechua words. So Quechua is a language, a native ancient mm-hmm. language. It still gets spoken to today in the native parts, some parts. Yeah. Um, so curi meaning worked gold and cancha, which means temple or place enclosed by walls. This suggests that the name of the temple roughly translates to walls of gold. Wow. So it's a big site. This temple was a big site. It's like a, a precinct and I think for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. So the layout of the site, as seen from above, actually resembled the sun with rays shining out in all directions. These were the sacred, uh, I don't know how to say this word, seki, (laughs) maybe, lines, physical and cosmic roads of which there were 
41, which led to 328 sacred sites. Cusco itself was deliberately laid out to represent a jaguar and Coricancha was located at the tail. In typical Inca symmetry, the second most important sacred site in the city was located at the head. Coricancha was also built where the city's two great rivers meet. The massive walls of this complex were built from large stone blocks, finely cut and fitted without mortar. Most walls also leaned slightly inwards as they rose up in height, a typical feature of Incan architecture. This type of construction has shown time and time again to withstand the destruction of earthquakes. The large blocks have just enough room to allow for the tremors without breaking. Wow. Foundations from the large curved western wall can still be seen today as part of the base of the Christian monastery of Santo Domingo that was built right on top of the complex. So after the Spanish conquistadors came in and mm-hmm. They destroyed the temple, but they built say, on top so of it. It's not standing anymore. It's not there anymore. Not in entirety. There's parts of the layout that mm-hmm. you can see and walk around, but wow. there was a big monastery built on top of it. Oh, they yeah. like to do that, don't they? <laughs> build course. their shit on top of everyone else's. <laughs> I know. So the most important temple in the precinct of this whole area was the Temple of the Sun, dedicated to the sun god Inti. The interior and exterior of the walls in the heyday, situated on the northern corner of the complex, were all covered in hammered gold sheets. Wow. Considered the sweat of the sun. So they were all beaten into these sheet plates and there were reportedly about 700 of these half square metre sheets all along the temple. It would have been incredible. Pure gold, yeah. Wow. Inside the temple, besides golden artefacts relevant to the gods' worship, was a gold statue of Inti encrusted with jewels. The statue represented Inti as a small seated boy called Punchao or Midday Sun. From his head and shoulders, the sun rays shone. He wore a royal headband and had snakes and lions coming out of his body. The stomach of the statue was hollow and used to store the ashes of the vital organs of previous Inca rulers. Every day, this statue was brought out into the open air and returned to the shrine each night. Another important representation of the god is a giant mask with zigzag rays bursting from the head was hung from the wallers of a specially dedicated chamber within the temple. So it was a big, giant gold Mm. plate head thing. So the garden of the temple was a wonderfully conceived homage to Inti. Just as land, sometimes even entire regions were dedicated to the god, so too this garden was constructed in honour of the great sun god Inti. Everything in it was made of gold and silver. A large field of corn and life-size models of shepherds, llamas, jaguars, guinea pigs, monkeys, birds and even butterflies and insects were all crafted in precious metal. And if that wasn't enough to please Inti, there was also a large number of gold and silver jars all encrusted with precious stones. All that survives of these wonders are a few golden corn stalks, a convincing if silent testimony to the lost treasures of Coricancha. So after the Spaniards came, they melted all the gold down. I was about to say, what happened? What yeah. happened to all this stuff? It sounds... Sent it back. Oh, I'll get Incredible. to that. Yeah. yeah. So many historians have written that once the Spanish arrived in Cusco, they were blinded by its grandeur, seeing that every wall was covered with a layer of gold and there were 
deities everywhere to celebrate the different gods of the Inca Empire. The concentration of the precious metals made the whole area shine. There were animal figures made entirely of gold. The Spaniards had never seen so much gold in one place before. Most of these pieces were sent to the King of Spain as a thank you for allowing the expeditions to South America to take place. Okay. Um, and that statue, that solid statue of Inti, actually got um, removed and kept for safekeeping somewhere with the Incans yeah. after they took control of the whole temple. Um, and after a while, like 200 years or something of it being in hiding, it was lost and they think oh the gosh. Spaniards finally did did get it. Well, maybe they didn't, but the thought is that the Spaniards got it, melted it down, yeah, wow. shipped it away. But it's it's possible. There's no proof of that. It could still be somewhere hiding. I Amazing. think that would be exciting. But even all of that metal and those jewels and things, surely there'd be things out there that are made from that. From that metal. And yeah. that would have to hold, like if you believe yep. in energy, that would have to hold some pretty intense energy. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I like that thought. Mm. I like where you're going with that. Oh, and that could be another episode. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to get like our Indiana Jones yeah. <laughs> on. <laughs> um, so also within this precinct, the, there was five other temples or wasi were placed around the main square courtyard of Korikancha. In order of hierarchy, one temple was dedicated to the creator god, Viracocha, one to Killer, well, which is Mama Killer, the goddess of the moon, one to Venus or the Pleiades, one to the god of thunder, Iapa, and finally one to Chichu, the rainbow god. Each wasi contained a cult statue of that particular god and precious art and religious objects connected to them. But just one last thing on Inti. So he's still um, celebrated today. Um, he's... Uh, la, la, la. The Quechua people perceive him as part of the Christian trinity now these days. Okay, yep. One of the most important ceremonies where he's still worshipped is the Inti Raimi Festival, held every winter solstice in the, north, in the southern hemisphere, the time when the sun is farthest from the earth. Then Inti is celebrated with ritual dances, lavish feasting and animal sacrifice. And that still happens today? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you go up to Cusco and you can... Like it's a big festival. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. So next is Mama Killer. And um, I, my little story with Mama Killer, I can't even remember where it began now. But Yeah, she kind of came on your radar, didn't she? I remember. I don't know why. How did that happen? I think oh, I was. Wasn't that the little statue at your front door? Yes. So and I've always had that. Yeah. Did I just look at it one day and go, that's not Inti? Yes. I think that's, that's Mama, Mama Killer. Killer. Yeah, that's what it was. And. Then yeah. I gifted you yes. the goddess yep. oracle deck. You did. And Mama Killer's in that. She's in that. Yeah. So funny. It is a bit weird. Yeah. So growing up with having mum from Peru, we always had, you know, there was tapestries hanging on the wall um, and there was always like the rugs. I think you're sitting on one and then there's one right beside you. Mm -hmm. And so there's Inti is the, the main god that's depicted on them along with like pottery and ceramics were really big over there and woven textiles made from the llama wool and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But I was only ever really familiar with, like I never, you know, formally studied anything. We were never learned in that sort of history or culture. But to me, Inti and Viticulture almost seemed interchangeable. And now that I read more about the 
the, the sort of Incan side of things, that's because Inti, although he was the son, he was more sort of revered than Viticulture and mm-hmm. they do look sort of similar, I suppose. Um, but so does Mama Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realise that there was a female sort of counterpart. Yeah. So she's the wife and sister of mm-hmm. Inti. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, when I realised that I had this um, sort of brass wall hanging, I suppose, and that it wasn't Inti, I was like, well, who is that? And yeah. so then I looked into it more and it turns out it's the moon goddess, Mama Killer. And her name is Fierce. Like, it is Fierce. It sounds a little scary. Uh, yeah, she's 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 all good, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> so she's the wife and the sister of Inti. Um, she's the daughter of Viticocha, creator god, um, and her mum is Mama Cocha, which is the goddess of the sea. Her sister is Pachamama, the earth goddess. Ah, okay. And she had four children. Uh, she had Manko Kapak, the fire god and first ruler of the Incas. She had Mama Oklo, the goddess of spinning, Pachakamak, the earth creator god, and Kon, the god of rain and the south wind. She's associated with silver, so obviously opposite to the gold. Yeah. Which symbolised the tears of the moon. And it said that she, when she cried, she cried tears, you know, she cried silver. Uh, she portray, she's portrayed as a beautiful woman wearing the moon as a silver crown or a silver disc with human features. The Incas calculated time with the phases of the moon. So Mama Killer governed the ceremonial calendar and guided the agricultural cycles. Since the waxing and waning of the moon also used to predict monthly cycles, she was regarded as the regulator of women's menstrual cycles. She's also the protector and defender of all women. At the Temple of the Sun at Cusco, she had her own temple and priestesses whom were dedicated to her. Mummies of past Inca queens stand alongside the image of Mama Killer. The Incas believed that the dark spots on the moon were there because a fox fell in love with her because of her beauty and rose into the sky to be with her. When he got there, she squeezed him to him so close against her that it produced the dark patches we see on the moon. The Incas believed that lunar eclipses were caused by a mountain lion or a serpent trying to devour her, so they made all the noise and threw their weapons to the sky to protect her. Wow. So the Incas did not like eclipses at all. Mm. It was something that they really feared. It seems like a lot of ancient civilizations were the same. Like yeah. it was a bad thing. Doesn't it? There's yeah. so many synch- synchronicities. No, yeah. there's so many similarities. Definitely. So Pachamama, also known as Mama Alpa or Pakamama, was the Inca Earth Mother and the fertility goddess who watched over planting and harvesting. She's depicted as a dragon who crawled and slithered under the earth, causing the plants to grow. Farmers built stone altars dedicated to her at the centre of their fields so they could offer sacrifices in hope of a good harvest. After the Spanish conquest, Pachamama merged with the Virgin Mary. The worship of the goddess survived in the Indian communities in southeastern Peru and western Bolivia. She's the highest divinity of the Quechua and Aymara peoples who continuously honour her with offerings and fires. So there's Cochamama. She's the goddess of the sea and the wife and the wife of creator god Viracocha. Originally, she was a pre-Incan goddess of coastal regions who retained her influence under the Inca rule. She had powers over all bodies of water, so the Incas relied on her to provide fish to eat. 
Apart from fishermen, sailors also believe that Cochamama ensured their safety at sea. Nowadays, some South American Indians who depend on the sea for their livelihood still invoke her. Those who live in the Andes highlands sometimes bring their children to bathe in the ocean in hopes of ensuring their well-being through the goddess. So then there's Chichu, the Incan god of the rainbow. Chichu served the god of the sun Inti and the goddess of the moon Mamakila. He had his own temple within the sacred Coricancha complex, featuring a golden ark painted with seven colours of the rainbow. In Inca belief, the rainbows were also two-headed serpents that had their heads buried in the springs deep in the earth. And Iapu, the god of weather, who gave the rain, had an important place in a culture that depended on agriculture. The Incas saw the Milky Way, the band of stars that arc across the sky as a heavenly river. Iapu's sisters stored the river's water in a jug until it was needed on the earth. When Iapu struck the jug with a bolt of lightning from his slingshot making the sound of thunder, he broke the jug and released the rain. So he was depicted as carrying a sling and a mace. And like the rainbow god, he also served Inti and Mama Killa. And he appears to have been highly significant deity to the Inca and even children had been sacrificed to him. My gosh. Mm. Wow. And then there's... Apus is the gods of the mountains and protectors of the village. So the Apus were lesser deities that affected natural phenomena. The Incan believed that they could increase the fertility of the type of livestock that were offered. So animal sacrifices, burnt offerings, incantations and drinking cane alcohol and corn beer were all common to honour them. That so is, that's just a really brief rundown. Yeah, <laughs> it was wow. really, really long. But that's, that's so interesting. I know, it's interesting. Fascinating. So I liked um, researching all of that. So thanks for the opportunity and I just oh, it was really nice it. to look into it a bit more from adult eyes because yeah. I was 12 when we travelled over there and I was lucky enough to visit Machu Picchu and a few mm. other sacred sites but you don't take it in yeah. and I knew nothing about it. I was just walking around, you know, taking photos and it, it felt beautiful but, I, gosh, I'd love to go back again. Definitely. Yeah. With all that knowledge and mm. reverence. Yeah, mm. and go to so many other sites. But, there's yeah, there's so much ancient history over there. It's it's crazy. And I was telling you before we started recording, just watching some of the massive monoliths and monuments mm. with all these, you know, amazingly accurate cuts and how they're sitting there and yeah it's just nuts and we'll so never cool. know will we exactly no. how yeah. how they did it yeah and how they were placed there that's right and also Incan culture they didn't have a written language okay they, they were storytellers mm-hmm. and people had jobs of being the storyteller and they would have like um what like certain posts set around the city and set around you know further out a field where there would be a storyteller going from one post to the next wow. and the next storyteller would go on and yeah no written language that's fascinating so fascinating could go on forever and ever but I won't <laughs> I love it well thank you for sharing and I love it that it's part of your lineage I know I just feel so lucky that there's so much there I'm only just scratching the surface as yeah. well yeah oh lucky me it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so over to our listeners. They had yes. some stuff to share too. Yes. Thank you to everyone who emailed. I've got a couple um, that I'm going to read out today. So our first one is from our listener, Jade. Thanks, Jade. And it starts. So dear Shannon, 
Here is a brief story of my first encounter with our beloved High Priestess of the Rose line, Mary Magdalene. In 2012, I was called to study mystery school teachings for 21 days in Hawaii around the 2012 December end of the Mayan calendar. Mm. A little tie in there. Also at the same time, I was called to birth the clinic in the Platinum Building so Jade owns Aurora at Platinum and Erina. Wow. Yeah, an amazing massage therapist. I can vouch for her. Nice. Uh, which I did while in mystery school. The mystery school was based on the Big Island, which is the most active volcano activity, and you're literally on black obsidian everywhere you go on oh, the island. Wow. You can imagine the energy, huh? On arrival, I felt something was different. I was going to experience the feminine in a new way, but I wasn't sure what this was until we opened the doors to the mystery school training. On the first day, we were introduced to higher aspects of Christ consciousness. Then it began this building of feminine energy to finally, when we came to studying gridding, I stepped into the pentagram grid. Once I was in deep, having my space held by a lovely man living in England at the time, straight away, I was taken to a place laying in the same pentagram in beautiful, in a beautiful grassy area in a land I hadn't seen before. With me was this high priestess in ceremonial robes saying to follow the rose. There was an instant feeling of coming home. When I come back to the When I came back to the physical realm, I explained my experience to the gentleman. He said, this is Magdalene. You are one of the Rose Priestesses and she is calling you to sacred France to study with her. Then this was when my real priestess training journey began. After this experience, she didn't leave my side, which I'll be forever grateful for. After this experience, I started the process of following the Rose. The first trip took me back to Glastonbury, the home Avalon and the home of the sacred wells of the chalice cup and the heart chakra of the planet. Here I reconnected deeply with all the sacred sites of the priestess in the humble Magdalene church in Glastonbury in prayer. She whispered the words, follow the way of the rose. I then started my research and in the south of France, which is the home of the many Egyptian and priestess sites, I found the course the way of the rose that took you to all the powerful sites of the Magdalens, including her cave in which ritual practices of initiations of women becoming priestesses were performed. I went back to France many times to study sacred body awakening, womb wisdom and the golden lotus women's work. The way of the rose didn't stop here. Magdalene called me to all the sacred sites all over Europe, the Middle East and Egypt. I went from Italy England, Spain, India, Israel, Palestine and Egypt multiple times to study all of the ancient teachings of the sacred feminine way of the rose. Wow. This travel was constant for almost a decade. Oh my God. Amazing. And she has the most, um, she has shared some of this with me before, has the most amazing photographs and stories of these places. I bet. To this day, she weaves her magic through all I'm called to do or the work I'm practising. She has been my greatest gift in this life and I'm truly honoured by the path, knowledge, wisdom and pure divine love she has given me and those around me she touches. This is just a brief explanation as she has taken me on some truly deep life-changing activations, initiations and remembering of the ancient temple art of the way of the high priestess. Lots of love, Jade. Wow, Jade, thank you so much for sharing. Incredible, incredible. So I thought I would read a little bit um, about Mary Magdalene for people that might not be yeah. familiar with Thank her. You. Yes, please. Out of my trusty book. Oh, no. <laughs> I 
It's like my little Bible, this book. I love it. Yeah. So uh, Mary Magdalene is described as Jesus Christ's beloved companion. But what does that mean? Volumes have been filled attempting to answer that question. Passionate debate rages with no sign of abatement. (laughs) Was she among Christ's most dedicated disciples? Was she among the women who raised funds to support Jesus and his disciples? Was she a repentant sinner? Was she a prostitute? And if so, what kind? Secular or temple priestess? Was she Jesus's wife? Whoever she was, she was an extremely significant character in the New Testament. Mary Magdalene is the only woman mentioned who is never identified in relation to a man. She's not identified as anyone's wife, sister or daughter. She's also the first person to witness the resurrected Christ. Uh, in Hebrew, the word migdal, from which Magdalene derives, means to ta- means a tower, castle, fortress, or raised up place. Her name may be interpreted as Mary from the fortress or Mary who is the fortress. The name is also evocative of the high places associated with worship of the Hebrew goddess Asherah. Many are offended by the suggestion that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. However, these suggestions were not (laughs) invented by Dan Brown, (laughs) author of the 2003 best-selling novel The Da Vinci Code, nor by Michael Bagnant, Richard Lee and Henry Lincoln's 1982 study The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. These rumours date back to the early days of Christianity and stem mainly from Gnostic sources. The Magdalene is a pervasive presence in Gnostic texts. The Gospel of Mary, estimated written in the early 2nd century, is sometimes attributed to her. Less than eight pages of original text are available. The Gospel of Philip refers to Mary Magdalene as Jesus' companion, using a Greek word indicating partner and consort. Philip the Apostle was a devotee of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. The Gospel of Philip attributed to him and believed written in the late 2nd century, although possibly based on earlier sources, describes three women who always walked with the master, Mary his mother, sister and Mary Magdalene, called his companion. For Mary's name, Mary is a name of his sister, his mother and his companion. They all have the name Mary. Interesting. Very interesting. And Mary Magdalene is the secret keeper. She is a repository of sacred mysteries. Her modern identity may depend upon the eyes of her beholders. Mary Magdalene is venerated by Christians, Jews and pagans alike. Mary Magdalene is a Christian saint. Her official, is it hagiography? I've never even seen that word before. Mm. Says she travelled to France as a missionary. Others insist that she is the founder of an alternative and now secret spiritual tradition. This theory, the basis for the Da Vinci Code, is also based on Gnostic texts such as the Pistis Sophia, which portrays Mary Magdalene in conflict with Peter, considered the first pope and founder of the church. Still, other people perceive that Mary and Jesus were adepts in secret spiritual traditions devoted to Isis or Asherah of the sea. Alternatively, Mary Magdalene is a priestess of Artasius, whose symbols are doves and fish. Some consider her an avatar of all, of any or all of these goddesses. In the 21st century, Mary Magdalene has emerged as an independent goddess, venerated by goddess devotees around the world. Whether as saint or goddess, Mary Magdalene is invoked for miracles of love, romance, safety and fertility. She may be asked to protect those who are burdened or threatened by secrets. 
Mm. So that is Mary Magdalene. I had a little Mary um, like card on my bedside table growing up and a little Mary, little gold pendant growing up. and Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the Da Vinci Code because have you seen it? Maybe? I haven't seen it it's yet. It's so good. I've heard it's amazing and the books yeah. are amazing and, yeah, I it's live just, under a rock. <laughs> I really I need to watch it. At that time as well it was one of the um, – first sort of movies you know of course Dan Brown didn't make the story up yeah he was like a highlighter um bringing up these sort of contentious points that were that were written in in bibles and stuff but Mm -hmm. it was really um he did it in such a a great way that sort of simplified a lot of bible texts that no one's ever Mm going to read and made you know just just highlighted some things by way of story and movie that was really interesting for with regards to Mary Magdalene especially, mm. you'd love it. You just need to watch it. I, I think really it's do. on Netflix these days. It is. Yeah. I've actually got it in my list but I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. I'm going to. Easy Definitely watch. going to. Yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> but the book's even better, more detail. Yeah, and even with, um, you know, recently talking with Rebecca Campbell on yeah. the podcast oh, too gosh. and I know so much of her work yeah. is about the rose and that rose lineage. Yeah. So it's Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also fascinating and I need to learn more. Definitely yeah. need to learn more. It's so funny. The more you read, the more you realise you can learn so much more. Oh, always. So cool. Definitely. So thank you so much, Jade. Absolutely. Really beautiful. And our next story from a listener is beautiful Bianca. Thank you, Bianca. Yes, thank you, Bianca. So hi, goddesses. I personally work with Lilith and it came about so unexpectedly. In the past, there was a bit of fear for me that was associated with Lilith, thanks to her being demonized in various ways. But it turns out spirit gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Turns out. Turns out. (laughs) (laughs) And a deity will often come looking for you rather than the other way around. So true. So, so true. Lilith first began reaching out to me like little crumbs of information. Someone who I know named their baby after her. Then I started literally seeing her name everywhere, (laughs) books, etc. And some of her symbols such as owls. My curiosity overtook my fear and I began learning about her story and myths. I then listened and read about others' experience, personal experiences with her and realised a couple of things. Firstly, that Lilith and I share commonalities in our stories and experiences. And secondly, that everyone who works with her has very powerful yet healing experiences. The more I learned, the more it made sense that she was calling out to me. It just clicked. I created a small altar dedicated to Lilith and started leaving offerings. I then did a guided meditation with Lilith and had a very powerful experience where she indicated there was a lot she can support me with. My first experience interacting with her was she is fierce and strong yet very very willing to work with those who are willing to look at their shadow selves. She also appreciates people being direct. Her lessons so far have been difficult but necessary. She has upheaved some things in my life that I was holding on to yet were no longer serving me. I walked away from people and situations that were having a detrimental impact on my life. This was emotionally painful yet in hindsight needed for me to grow for the new space to open up in my life. I feel her with me when I'm faced with challenging situations and she supports me to speak up about my needs and boundaries rather than submit to others or try to people please. She supports me to stand in my power and to speak my truth even when others are uncomfortable with it. 
She's also supporting me to connect with my sacred sexuality and to heal some wounds in that space such as shame and blockages with experiencing pleasure. Through Lilith, I have been beginning to connect to the wild, untamed, angry and rebellious part of myself and am working on integrating these parts of myself in a healthy way rather than pushing them into the shadows. I am so grateful to Lilith for all she has taught me so far. Blessings, Bianca Smith. Thank you so much. Oh, I had chills then reading that. Did you? Yeah. It was making me think of Michael Herx when you and Tracy interviewed him back in the first season. Yes. And he works closely with Lilith. He gave us such a rap. Oh, he loves Lilith. He is all about Lilith. Yeah. And it also made me think of our interview with Molly Reema who wrote Walking with Persephone. Yes. And just how... um, Working with these gods or goddesses and when they show up, it really sort of highlights to us what we think we need from them and what they represent, like what we think they represent and what we think we need is not always Mm. either what they represent or what we think we need. Because I remember Molly was saying, why Persephone? Like she's so young, she's inexperienced, I'm a mum of three. You know, what on earth could Persephone teach me? And same with like Lilith when you're... um, I loved how she wrote, my curiosity overtook my fear. So not letting that fear or that judgment of what they do or don't represent and what you think you do or don't need. It's It's so true. Yeah, Be led or in reflection have a look back at what's been holding you and what's been leading you. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Like It really is. I I love hearing how people, yeah, are led to these Mm. certain deities. It's. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's mm. amazing when you reflect back, you're like, oh, that happened. Oh, that yeah. was there. Yeah. The breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah. And I think another thing too, like some deities I do believe personally will be with you for your whole life, but yeah. others may come and go at mm-hmm. different times for when you need them, when you need those lessons. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really. There's room. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's, yeah, as you say, a god or a goddess or an archangel yeah. or. Yep. I'm sure spirit guides come and go as well. Surely. Surely. <laughs> Who would know what it, you know. Tracy, that's when we need her here for I know. this episode. Yeah. Tracy. <laughs> Our yep. resident psychic. Yeah. So I thought to finish off I would um, read about Lilith for once again, those yes, who may not please. be aware of her. So her origin is from Sumeria. No spirit possesses a more fabulous history than Lilith among the most primordial of spirits and the most modern. Few, if any, are more powerful. Her earliest appearance is recorded in history uh, in Sumeria, where she is somehow associated with Inanna. Although identified as a wind spirit, Lilith has profound associations with trees. She's a wild, free spirit who cannot be chained or contained. In the Sumerian myth of the Hulupu tree, Inanna makes the transition to an urban, settled agricultural environment. When she instigates the chopping down of the sacred tree Lilith calls home, Lilith flees, remaining a spirit of the wilderness. Jewish legend identifies Lilith as Adam's first wife, the first true female, created not from Adam's rib but from the earth simultaneously with with him. Adam and Lilith's relationship quickly became contentious. She refused to take direction uh, from him, specifically refused to lie beneath him during sex. (laughs) Go, Lilith. (laughs) Lilith demanded to be treated as an equal rather than a subordinate, basing her claim on their common origin. 
When Adam attempted to force her, Lilith uttered the secret, ineffable name of the creator and flew away, initiating the first divorce. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. So Lilith despises sanctimonious people and punishes the prudish. She <laughs> enjoys ensnaring hypocrites but is also but is a protective guardian spirit towards those she perceives as her children, especially her daughters. Lilith has dominion over all aspects of sex, fertility and childbirth. She is immensely powerful, potentially vicious and will fearlessly eliminate any evil threatening those whom she guards. Lilith resists attempts to classify or pigeonhole her. She breaks boundaries like the chains she abhors. Her name is synonymous with witch. <laughs> Lilith possesses many forms appearing as an old crone or a beautiful young woman. She may appear as a woman from head to waist, flame underneath. Lilith dresses in crimson. She wears 40 ornaments, less one. <laughs> Her hair may be black or red, but it will be distinctive either because it is beautiful or because it is dishevelled or both. Amid cultures where women's hair is traditionally bound or covered, Lilith is loose and long. She manifests in animal form too, typically as a large black cat, black dog or an owl. Even when in human form, Lilith may display bird's feet, claws or wings. The planet um, Lilith is aligned with is the moon. It is said to be her lantern. Her power increases with the waning moon. Uh, the elements, Lilith has associations with air, water, earth and fire. Hebrew myth has her created from the earth. In Sumeria, she began her incarnation as a wind spirit. She manifests as fire. The Zohar, holy book of the Kabbalists, explains that Lilith is nourished by water while the south wind spreads her influence. Lilith is a frequently found living in wells as she is in trees. And the bird... Uh, the owl is her sacred bird and messenger. And Lilith is happiest in desolate wilderness, far removed from civilization. She loves forests, crossroads, seacoasts, and especially the desert. When Lilith fled from Adam, she went to dwell in a cave in the desert on the shores of the Red Sea, reputedly still one of her favorite places. When she approaches people, she makes homes for herself in trees and wells, Pro provide them for her to keep her close. Wow. So that is Lilith. That is Lilith. Mm. That's huge. Massive. Why is there it. so much to write on some of them? It's crazy. Oh, that, and I only read with Mary Magdalene and Lilith and Artemis, like short parts yeah, of what's in of this what's book. Of what's available. Yeah. So amazing. I could go on and on and on. I'm sure you could. <laughs> I could. I could listen on and on and on. We have given our listeners a lot to listen to today. <laughs> they asked for goddesses and we've given you some goddesses we've, plus more. Absolutely. Is it Divine Tool of the Week? It is. Oh, yay. It is. And this week I thought I could not go past frankincense. Yeah. Because it is divine. It's amazing that we haven't covered it yet. I know. True. Oh, do go on then. So... You can't go past frankincense no. as a tool that is associated with the realm of spirit. It's one of the oldest documented magical resins and has been traded in northern Africa, India and parts of the Middle East for nearly 5,000 years. Wow. Frankincense oil is prepared from aromatic hardened gum resins obtained by tapping the Boswellia trees. I don't I think I don't know if I said that right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boswellia, I think that's it. Frankincense appears in the story of the birth of Jesus. The Bible tells of the three wise men who arrived at the manger and opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
So according to history.com, at the time Jesus is thought to have been born, frankincense and myrrh may have been worth more than their weight in the third gift presented by the wise men, gold. But despite their significance in the New Testament, the substances fell out of favour in Europe with the rise of Christianity and fall of the Roman Empire, which essentially obliterated the thriving trade routes that had developed over many centuries. In the early years of Christianity, incense was expressly forbidden because of its associations with pagan worship. Later, however, some denominations, including the Catholic Church, would incorporate the burning of frankincense, myrrh and other aromatic items into specific rites. So interestingly, in 2008, researchers completed a study on the impact of frankincense on depression and anxiety. Really? Yeah. So pharmacologists found evidence indicating that the aroma of frankincense may help regulate emotions such as anxiety and depression. Mm. So research shows that lab mice exposed to frankincense were more willing to spend time out in open areas where they would typically feel more vulnerable. Mm. Away from the frankincense. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Scientists say this indicates a drop in levels of their anxiety yeah. if they're happy to be they're out. They're more relaxed. Yeah. Uh. So I think I need to sniff some before I go grocery yeah. shopping. <laughs> I need to go get some. <laughs> and Ayurvedic practitioners have used frankincense for a long time as well. They call it by its Sanskrit name, dupe, and incorporate into general healing and purification ceremonies. So in modern magical traditions, frankincense is often used as a purifier. So you can burn the resin to cleanse a sacred space or use the essential oils to anoint an area that needs to be purified. Because it's believed that the vibrational energies of frankincense are particularly powerful, many people mix frankincense in with other herbs to give them a magical boost. Also, um, you can use it during meditation, energy work or chakra exercises, such as opening the third eye. And in some belief systems, frankincense is associated with good fortune in business. So you can carry a few bits of the resin in your pocket when you go to a business meeting or a job interview. Oh, great idea. And frankincense oils can sometimes cause a reaction in people with sensitive skin. So you should only use very sparingly and always dilute with a base oil such as coconut before using. Perfect. It'll spread it a bit further too because it's so expensive. It's very expensive oil, (laughs) but it is a beautiful oil. So is. Mm. I so that it. is frankincense. So go get yourself some mm. oil or resin. Yeah, I like the resin. I've got little, you know, the little chunky yeah. bits of resin. And I burn it on a charcoal disc. It's I do too. My favorite in my little cauldron. Yes, <laughs> that's my favorite way of using it. That's awesome. I recently got some from Sage Dreaming, who's an mm. Australian company that make amazing organically grown cool uh, sage. Good and to they know. Yep. do frankincense, copal, and a few other resins now too, which Ooh. is. Great. Great shout out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Shane. You brought the goods today. Oh, it's a big episode, it but is. it was a lot to cover and we wanted yeah. to just give everyone a good overview yeah. of these relationships that can form with yeah. different energies and deities Some and personal ties and yeah. yeah, all of our own interest in there. So it was nice. Yeah. Get in touch if you want to share your own or if you want to know more about something. It could be a cool subject to cover more of. Well, that's how this one came about was yep. from suggestions from our Patreon people. So yeah. please keep the suggestions coming. Yeah. Give us some ideas. Yep. Um, I love hearing our listeners' stories. Oh, my gosh. They please were so Please keep good. them coming Yeah, about anything to do yep. with 
being a witch. Anything. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hope you're taking care. We'll see you next week. Bye. We love bringing Turns Out She's a Witch to you each week at no cost. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation researching, coordinating and producing the show ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making the show. As a thank you, you'll get access to some beautiful guided meditation recordings, a Patreon shout-out on the podcast, there's monthly live Q&As, competitions and giveaways, as well as a special book and movie review bonus episodes. For more details, please click the link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com. As always, we welcome your questions. We'd love it if you left a review and shared the podcast with your family and friends and give us a follow over on Insta at turnsout underscore she's a witch. Until next time, thanks for listening and being a part of our podcast covenant.